to get. Those of you watching by the internet, if you'd like to have one of these handouts, just text me, email me, call me and let me know and I will try to get one to you. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, verse 31, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. That would be with Abraham, uh, Moses, their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And what did they do with that covenant? They broke it. Now, if you look all the way through, if you just read the Old Testament, time and time and time again, Moses rebukes the children of Israel because of their unbelief and disobedience. On at least one occasion, and if I can remember, maybe two occasions, but at least one, the Lord said to Moses, uh, you get out of the way. And I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with, a, with you and build another nation. Of course, Moses interceded. He prayed. The Lord heard his intercession, and so the Lord spared them. Let's see. Tom and Linda. Now, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. And it won't be the covenant of law. It won't be the covenant that I made with the house of Israel when they brought them out of Egypt. They broke that covenant. He says, this covenant is going to be something that's inside. Verse 33, this should be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. S several times the Lord said to Moses, they've got my law and they say amen at the right time. And they say, this is what we're going to do. But he said, oh, that there was a heart in them to obey. Oh, that there was a heart in them to obey. All right, Ashley, you want a handout? We're so informal on Tuesday night, don't we? I'm informal on Sunday morning. Most of you just don't realize. <laughs> All right. Then he says, verse 34. He says, in this covenant, everybody that's in this covenant will know me. Verse 34, they shall teach no more, no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Now I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Now we could just spend the evening here looking at the book of Hebrews. We're going to chapter 8. Uh, and all of the times that the writer to the Hebrews 
talks about this new covenant. That's one of the reasons for the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews shows us that Christ is superior to everything that was related to that old covenant. We have a better priest. We have a better sacrifice. They had the blood of bulls and goats. We have the blood of the Son of God. And the blood of the Son of God was, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the blood of God. Read it, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where we're told that the blood of Jesus Christ, I mean, if Jesus Christ, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, then he has the blood of his Father. And Acts 20, 28 says, you are purchased with the blood of God. Now here in Hebrews chapter 8, as I was saying, we have a better priest, we have a better prophet, we have uh, a king that's not a sinful king. You know that when David established the kingdom, his son Solomon followed him, and Solomon was given all kinds of wisdom to govern that's not usually pointed out. It wasn't that he was just wise in everything. When he asked the Lord, the Lord said, what do you want? And he said, well, I, I don't want riches. I, I want the ability, the wisdom to govern your people. Because we know that Solomon became the greatest fool in the world. Seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. That is not a wise man. And the scripture says that his wives, when he was older, his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. Now, what I think that shows us is that no matter how much wisdom God could give to men, they still fall short. They're still sin. All of this points to why we have to have a Savior. And this Savior, this hope for a Savior, for a perfect redemption, is in this new covenant. Now, several of us wrestle with these things. I'm still wrestling with them. There'll be some things in these notes that I gave out to you. You'll say, well, I don't know about that. That's okay. You can wrestle with that. You can deal with it. Because we know that there are all kinds of promises in the scripture that God made to the nation of Israel. We know that. As a nation. As a nation. Maybe when we finish this, I'm going to teach you verse by verse Romans 11, which I think is very, very important. And I think shows some things that would help us understand uh, this new covenant and the relationship between that and the nation of Israel. Well, anyway, there are people, uh, there are people here tonight who have various and sundry views about the last days. I've been teaching about the last days for a while on Sunday morning. There are people who believe that uh, there is still a purpose for national Israel. There are those who believe that is not the case. And I'm telling you this, you can be a child of God and take any of those views. Uh, we can sit down and talk about it. We can discuss it. And I can tell you right off the bat, I don't have all the answers. Know this, I know that not a Gentile or a Jew 
can know God except through his son. I know that. I've had a, a Jewish friend in my house for the last two days. We've known him for a long time. His mom and dad did not take him to synagogue. He was not a, uh, a religious Jew. Uh, but he was a Jew nonetheless. And we had a great chance to witness to him and talk to him. And many Jews today, individual Jews, are coming to know the Lord. But the nation of Israel, after the flesh in Israel today, though our heart goes out to them for all of these things happening to them, all of these wars, and it's probably going to get worse. They themselves are not believers in Jesus as Messiah. Netanyahu does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, I have contributed to the Christian fellowship of Jews and Christians. Probably some of you have. It's a good work. It's just, uh, trying to help uh, Jews not only in Israel, but Jews in the Ukraine that are under all, uh, all of this bombing and all of the things. But what I'm, what, I, what I'm trying to get to is this. The old covenant was a covenant of law. The new covenant is a covenant of the heart. It is a spiritual covenant. And this is very, very difficult for us in some passages to get a hold of it simply because of what we understand many times about the Old, Old Covenant. Hebrews chapter 8. I don't think I even read this passage yet. Hebrews chapter 8. He says in uh, verse 6, six he, he says in the first verse of chapter 8, I'm going to sum up what I've said so far. Hebrews 8, verse 1, of the things we've spoken of, this is the sum. So he begins to sum up what he said in the first seven chapters. And he tells us that uh, the priesthood has been done away with as far as the flesh is concerned, but we have a high priest, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then when he gets down to verse 6, he says, Now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant that was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, and by faultless, what does he mean? Was there anything wrong with the covenant? No, what he means by this is that first covenant could not make those who observed it without fault before God. They were still sinners. No matter what you did, no matter how many sacrifices you offered, how much you prayed, you can never be right with God by any of the works of the law. Okay? So if that first covenant had been faultless, if it had been able to get the job done to make men without fault, then no place would have been sought for a second covenant. But finding fault with them, notice now, not finding fault with the covenant, finding fault with them who were under that covenant, he said, The days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Where did he get those words? We just read them in Jeremiah chapter 31. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. It's opened up in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I will make a new covenant, not according, verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. This is the covenant, verse 10, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first old, and that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look into these strange and holy things, we pray that you'll give us insight, that you'll help us by the Spirit to understand your will as revealed in your word for the glory and the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, for whose sake we ask it. Amen. Now the issue in the new covenant, as I have already said, is that it is a spiritual thing. All right, let me show you how the new covenant, how the New Testament can spiritualize something. The Jews believed and the Old Testament prophets taught, and you can read this in the last book of the Old Testament. What is the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. You can read in the last book of the Old Testament, I will send Elijah before the Messiah comes. And Elijah will come and he will announce the Messiah is here. The prophets taught that. The Jews believed that. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them thought he was calling for Elijah. Okay? But what did Jesus say about that? Well, this is what he said. He told his disciples, they said, why do the prophets say that Elijah is coming first? And he said, if you can receive it, I say unto you, Elijah did come first. He said, John the Baptist was that Elijah. Now, who would have been able to figure that out? Nobody can figure that out. So when the Lord said, I'm going to send Elijah, he didn't mean I'm going to send him personally. He meant I'm going to send somebody in the spirit of Elijah, somebody that comes as a prophet like Elijah. Elijah was a guy that said, I'm going to tell you what God says. and You can hang me. You can stone me, whatever you want to do. I'm going to tell you exactly what the Lord said. The prophets were not popular. When you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, about the heroes of faith, and you get toward the end of chapter 11, you read about somebody being sawn in two, cut in two. You know who that was? It was Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. And it is said that the reason he was cut in two is because he said he saw the Lord. And if you say you saw the Lord, you're lying. 
You're lying. You can't see God and live. That's what they said. Remember, um, not Job, but somebody else said uh, uh, the, the, the mom and dad of Samson thought that they were going to die because they had seen the Lord. And so when you say that God has visited planet Earth in the person of a human being that's five foot ten to six foot tall, you're saying God Almighty who made this universe, you're saying He has been in this world as a man, as I said this past Sunday. That is the stuff of visions and dreams to the world and the unbeliever. So what I'm emphasizing to you tonight is that all of these things have to be seen from a spiritual viewpoint. That's the only way you're going to be able to understand this new covenant. Now in that paper I just gave out to you, that, that top, top statement up there with those passages, that's what we've covered for the last two weeks. I am a Messianic Gentile who's come to Mount Zion and the altar. I have been circumcised by Jesus. I have the Torah, the law in my heart. I am a child of Abraham. I am a member of the temple. Jerusalem is my mother. Jesus is my high priest. I have entered into the Sabbath of rest. Therefore, I am a partaker of Israel's spiritual heritage. I am a spiritual Jew. Therefore, I belong to the Israel of God. Now, that's what we've covered for the last two weeks. And I've put some passages in there with that. Tonight, we won't be able to cover all of this, and I don't think I will. I'll let you do some studying on your own. But let's look at some of these. Let me just mention some of them, and then we'll look up some of them. What has passed away and what has been replaced? Now, I do not say that I endorse what's called among theologians, and this is where I think we get in trouble, we want to put everything in a neat little systematic theology package. And I don't believe you can box up the Word of God in the little systematic theology passage. And that's why we have folks that fuss and fight about the millennial, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, the rapture, uh, pre-mill rapture, mid-split rapture, we're all confused about that, and people, there are, there are churches that won't let you in unless you endorse a certain school of eschatological thought. We have a statement for people who become part of this assembly. It is not necessary for one to subscribe to a certain school of eschatology, that is, last things, prophecy, to be a member in good standing of this church. We believe, as the scripture says, it is not what you know, it is who you know. I know whom I have believed. I'm not exactly positive that everything I know about him and everything I teach that he taught is without error. I could be wrong in some areas, but I should have a good conscience about it. You ought to have a good conscience about what you believe. You ought to say, this is what I believe here and this is why. You should know that. If you differ with other brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's okay. It's all right to have differences. There have always been differences, and there are going to be differences until the Lord Jesus Christ comes here. So our salvation is not in whether we get it right about this, but whether we know him. Okay? So what has passed away and what has been replaced? Melchizedek, 
has replaced Aaron forever. Hebrews chapter 7. You can read that in your Bible. In other words, the, the significance of that statement is that Jesus was not just another priest in the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron was the first high priest. He was Moses' brother, then his sons, then his grandsons, then his great-grandsons. And that continued all the way down to 70 A.D. when Titus, the Roman general, came in and destroyed the temple. Now the Jews don't have a spiritual lineage for offering sacrifices. They can't really do it. They might. They might do it anyway. But they can't do it biblically because that line has been destroyed. But we know this. Jesus was not just another priest in the line of Aaron. He was in a totally different priesthood. He was in the Melchizedekian priesthood. And we looked at that last week from Hebrews chapter 7. You remember Melchizedek was the king and the priest that met uh, Abraham uh, when Abraham was going back home after a victory against the five kings. And it says that uh, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And the writer to the Hebrews says that Melchizedek, there have been people, there have been theologians that believe that Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ, that he was Christ before he came into the flesh. There are others who say, no, he is a good type, a good picture of Christ, but he wasn't Christ himself. It's like arguing about the foundation of the world. Was anybody there to see it? No. So that's why it says in the book of Hebrews, it is through faith that we believe that God created the world. All right, the second statement here, Christ, the giver of life in the spirit, has replaced Moses, the lawgiver. Does anybody have any question about that? Christ, the giver of life in the spirit, has replaced Moses, the lawgiver. Now, what does that mean? It means this. You can get all your rules and regulations and all your directions from the Lord Jesus Christ. It means he is the head of the church. You don't have to go to Moses and then Moses sends you back to Jesus, and then Jesus sends you back to Moses to show you how to live. Now, here's what I've just said. Many people believe that you preach the law of God, you beat people in the head with the law of God, and that causes them to know they're sinners. All right, then they need a Savior. So they go to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But then they don't know how to live. So Jesus sends them back to Moses to tell them how to live. You don't live your life in this world by the Ten Commandments. If you do, you still have a law mentality. You live your life in this world looking to Christ and trusting Him. And He will lead you by His Spirit. This is a spiritual thing. We don't have the letter of the law. Is anything wrong with the law? Not at all. It is still wrong to kill, still wrong to steal, still wrong to covet. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All of those things are true. But that's not our code of ethics. That's not our guideline. A lot of people don't realize that when we say the law is put away, we don't just mean the rituals and the ceremonies, like the day of Passover, the day of atonement. That's put away. But all the ethical things are still there. No, the law is one whole package. You either have it all or you don't have any of it. You'll have a a moral law like... Don't covet, 
And then the next verse, it'll say, don't seethe a kid in his mother's milk. Well, that's a moral thing too, under the law. That's a disobedient thing in the law. You see, that is done away with in Christ. Does anybody not understand that? You need me to uh, in, in, enlarge any more on that. Christ, the giver of life in the spirit, has replaced Moses, the lawgiver. I'll tell you what, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. That's the passage I gave you there, Acts chapter 2. Maybe we'll spend a couple of Tuesdays on this. But I want you to understand that all of these things, the contrast is between the letter of the law and the new covenant, which is a spiritual thing that deals with our hearts and our minds. Acts chapter 2, verse 33, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Am I in the right chapter? I think I am. Uh, He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. David is not ascended into the heavens. He's quoting a passage from David. And he says, David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for sure that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Lord means he's Lord of Moses. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over everybody. Okay? He has made him Lord and Christ. The Jewish people had, still have, of course, even, even those who are believers in Jesus as Messiah, they still have a struggle. Uh, about this. The last question when Jesus was taken up into heaven, Acts chapter 1, the last question that Jesus' own disciples had was, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons when the Father has put it in his own hands and he went up into heaven. Because they did not understand that the gospel is going to break down, as it says in Ephesians, the middle wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles. And now, in my opinion, according to the New Testament, there are two kinds of people in this world, believers and unbelievers. You can be a Jewish unbeliever, you can be a Jewish believer. You can be a Gentile unbeliever, you can be a Gentile believer. But there's just two types of people. All of that's been put aside. So he tells us here, in Acts 2 and in Romans 8, that Christ is now our, if we have a lawgiver, he, he is the lawgiver. Number three, the new covenant has replaced the old covenant. We just read that in Hebrews chapter 8. The next one, the temple of believers has replaced the physical temples of the past or any of the temples of the future. Now, do we need to look up these passages? 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, you are the temple of the Lord. The Lord dwells in his people and you have become his temple. My friends, listen to me. And as I said, I, I, I said to begin tonight that a lot of us have various feelings 
about modern day Israel. My heart goes out to modern day Israel. I do go out to them, but I cannot deny that people in Israel reject Jesus as Messiah. Can we agree on that? They reject Jesus as Messiah. In fact, as I told you a month, a couple of months ago, Jesus is the biggest draw Israel has. They make more money off of Jesus because all these millions of Christians want to go over there and see where Jesus walked and they want to see what Jesus did. And Jesus is the biggest draw for Israel, but they reject him as Messiah. And he said in Matthew chapter 23, the last two verses, and in Matthew chapter 24, he said, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And I told you that that word blessed is the word for eulogy. Eulogy. A eulogy. When you eulogize someone, you say a good word about them. So he said, you're not going to see me again until you have a good word to say about me. And they haven't seen him again. And so I would say this. I've got a, a study that I'm going to bring you maybe about the third temple. They claim that, uh, that people in Israel right now have all the materials for a third temple. And of course, if they build a third temple, it's going to be a third world war. But here's the point. If they built a third temple, what would that mean spiritually? Here's what it would mean. It would mean they absolutely reject Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for sinners. If they start offering sacrifices again of animals, what we read in the book of Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The high priest, when he was in there, one thing, one object of, of uh, furniture he didn't have, he didn't have a chair. He could never sit down. What did that indicate? That his work was never finished. It was never finished. He had to go back in year after year after year. The high priest could only go in once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And he had to go in with blood. And he represented Israel. But those sacrifices year after year after year could never take away sin. That's spelled out very clearly in the book of Hebrews. So if a third temple is built, that would be an utter rejection of the work of Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Uh, they were saying, we're going to go back and go back and offer uh, uh, these uh, animal sacrifices again. My friends, that's gone. That's gone. God's dealing with people now through his son. And there's nobody, no Christian can deny that regardless of your eschatological positions. So the next one says, outward circumcision by the hands of men has been replaced by circumcision of the heart by the spirit. And I give, I've given you these references, Ephesians 2 and Romans 2. Outward circumcision by the hands of men has been replaced by the circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Okay, next statement. No longer are the children of God identified as the natural seed of Abraham, but as the children of promise. Those promised by the Father to the Son who are identified as those who believe the promises. Now let's turn to that passage, Romans chapter 9. Let's look at that. I wish we all, I wish myself for myself, 
that I had a clear, very clear understanding and conviction of all of these things, but I do not. I have been bringing you a series of studies on the return of the Messiah because I believe his return is near, not just because of what's happening in Israel, though I think that plays a part, but what I see happening in the world, as I taught you this past week. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, despisers of those that are good. I pointed out all that, went over every word in those verses, told you what that really means. I see all of that, those last days of prosperity. All of those things signal that we're headed somewhere and we're going quickly. Not just what's happening in Israel, but also including that. Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, he says, well, maybe you think the Word of God didn't accomplish what God wanted it to accomplish. Uh, verse 6, Romans 9, verse 6. Not as though the Word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. What was, what was the argument of the Jews in John chapter 8 when Jesus spoke with the Jews and kept telling them, you're of your father. You're like your father. They first said, well, our father's Abraham. He said, well, Abraham didn't try to kill me and that's what you're trying to do. You're like your father. Well, they said, our father is God. He said, if God were your father, he'd love me. For he sent me. I'm a manifestation of him. You are of your father. And finally he said, you are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own because he's a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, you don't hear me. So what, I, what I'm saying to you is what Paul is saying right here. He's saying that uh, everybody, just because they can trace their lineage back to Abraham and they're called a Jew after the flesh, that doesn't mean that they're children of God. Verse 7, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. All right, how many, how many boys did Abraham have? He had Isaac and what? And Ishmael, Isaac and Ishmael. Which one was given to Abraham by promise? Isaac. Ishmael was not given by promise. Ishmael is what Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar produced. Okay? That is, verse 8, that is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. You're not a child of God because you're born into a Jewish household, because you're born in Israel. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. This is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 10, not only this, but when Rebekah had also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, but the children had not been born, they hadn't done any good or evil, that the purpose according to election might stand out of works, but of him to cause. It was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. He's pointed out the fact that salvation is of the Lord. 
It's not uh, if you're born in the United States. It's not if your mom and dad were Christians. It's not if your mom and dad were Jews. You have to come to know the Lord for yourself. So, verse 16, it is not of him that wills. It's not the will of man. It's not of him that runs. It's not the works of man. It's of God that shows mercy. And he deals with some tough things here. He asks down in verse 19, why does he he find fault? Who has resisted his will? And you can make a case out of that, that when God really determines to do something, guess what? It's going to get done. Men can do what they want to do, and in spite of themselves, they'll fulfill the will of God. Isn't that what they did with Christ? They fought against the Lord Jesus. Uh, The devil uh, came into Judas and Judas betrayed him. When Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus, he betrayed him for how much money? Anybody remember? Okay, pieces of silver, right? You realize that was was written in the Old Testament? They're sitting at the table. The table I was sitting was shaped kind of like a U at the Last Supper. And Jesus says... One of you will betray me. And they all said, is it I, is it I, is it I? And Peter, the New Testament says, Peter looked across the table and John was sitting next to Jesus and he looked at John and he said, who is it? Ask him who it is. And John said, who is it, Lord? And Jesus said, he that dips his hands in the dish, dips his bread in the dish with me. And immediately Judas walked up And when Jesus put his hand, Judas put his bread down, written in the Old Testament. Yea, mine own familiar friend has lifted up his heel against me. He that dips his bread in the dish with me will betray me. Written hundreds of years before Judas was ever born. You know those passages that we've read so many times in Acts chapter 3? Judas, uh, Herod, Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, the people of Israel did what they wanted to do, and they fulfilled the will of God. So, I don't have a question about any of these things myself. The outward circumcision uh, and the children of God are not just the natural seed of Abraham, but the children of promise, and I believe the children of promise are those who are brought to believe the promises. That's what it says in Romans chapter 9. In verse 8, I believe that they are brought to believe the promises. All right, then it says the Jerusalem above is free, and that has replaced the Jerusalem that is below, which is in bondage. We looked at that in detail last time, Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 through 28. I've, been said, I've said it several times tonight. Uh, Jerusalem in Israel is in bondage. They are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. The present seating of Christ on David's throne has replaced any idea of David sitting on it in the future. If, if, if Christ is seated on the throne, David's throne, why would he get off and let David sit there? He is seated there and he's going to be there throughout eternity. The Zion, which is above, has replaced the Zion on the earth. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. 
The once for all sacrifice, this is on the second page, I think, at least in my notes. The once for all sacrifice has replaced forever all other sacrifices, past or future. Jesus, the greater servant of the God of Israel, has replaced the inferior servant, which is Israel. Now, I want you to, I quoted right here, but would you like to turn to Matthew chapter 2? Let me, let's just look at this in your Bibles. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, a passage that has often uh, been passed over, not made a lot of, but it is significant. Matthew chapter 2. This is all about Herod uh, trying to kill the Christ child. And uh, verse 13, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when these uh, wise men left, and you notice that the wise men came when Jesus was two years old. You notice verse 11, and when they will come into the what? Into the house. Not, not, not out into the, where Jesus was born. This is two years later. Into the house. They saw the young child, okay, being warned of God, verse 12, in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed to their own country. And when they were departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, you get up and you take the young child and you take his mother and you run down into Egypt. And you be there until I send word for you to return. So he arose, he took the young child, verse 14, and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. He was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled once was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And where is that found? I have it right there for you. It's found in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And there it applies to the nation of Israel. Who called Israel out of Egypt? Who delivered them? The God of Israel did. But he said the ultimate fulfillment of that passage is when Jesus was called out of Egypt uh, back into the area of Palestine. See, all of these things are fulfilled in him. That's why I say the Bible is a hymn book. It's a hymn book. The Sabbath rest in Christ has replaced the need for a present or future Sabbath rest keeping. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. When Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor in the heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the rest that we have. We rest in him. We rest in Christ seven days a week. We do not rest in a day. We rest in a person. The feasts of Israel have been forever replaced by Jesus and his work. Now, I have some good friends, good friends. They're Christians. And every year they get together and they observe the Passover. And they observe the Passover just like the Jews do. They leave an open chair around the table, an open chair, which is supposed to be the chair of Elijah. And that's exactly what the Jews do. Now, my friends, I am not belittling anybody that does that, but I don't need that. I don't need that. I have everything I need in Christ. I don't have to have that. 
If they want to do that, that's fine. But why would we do that when all of that has already been fulfilled? Replaced by Jesus in his work. The Passover celebration has forever been replaced by Jesus' judgment death on the cross. When Jesus was judged on the cross, the blood was shed. And for those who come to Jesus as Messiah, the Spirit of God takes that blood that was shed and puts it on the doorpost of your heart. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7 right here, Jesus is called our Passover. You can look it up. I put it there for you. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Even Jesus, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That's what it says. The children of faith, the next statement, children of faith have replaced the children of the flesh. You can look up those passages. As I keep saying, regardless of whether you're Jew or Gentile, you cannot please God unless you come to God through faith in His Son. Circumcision without hands has replaced the circumcision with hands. And I've, got, I've given you passages, you can look these up. The types and shadows have been replaced by the substance. The children of the devil who reject, and I believe those who reject Jesus as Messiah, not just the Jews, but everybody who rejects Jesus as Messiah. Ephesians chapter 2, even you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in all children of disobedience. So if you reject Jesus, you're certainly not a child of God. And so you're still a child of, of the devil. The Old Testament, uh, last statement down here. The Old Testament examples were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. The New Testament writers give glory to God in, by, and through the church, not through a national Israel. Unto him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, Ephesians 3.21. Again, I say this, my heart goes out to Israel. My heart goes out to Jewish people. But we need to pray for them that their eyes would be open. Let me ask you a question. The Apostle Paul, who wrote, probably, if you, if you believe he wrote Hebrews, he wrote 14 New Testament books. If you don't believe he wrote, uh, uh, wrote Hebrews, he wrote 13. Now, how many books are there in the New Testament? 27. Okay? So he wrote 13 or 14 of those books. Now, when he was converted, what did he do? Well, he went out into the, uh, the wilderness for two or three years. But then when he came back, he was such a bad guy killing Christians. Many of the disciples said, yeah, I've heard of that guy. You remember when the Lord sent uh, Ananias and said, go down and talk to this fellow Saul of Tarsus. He's praying. Ananias said, yeah, I've heard of him. I don't know. I'm not sure I want to talk to him. The Lord said, well, he's simmered down now. He's in there praying, and he's waiting on somebody. He's seen a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come in. And when Ananias came in, he put his hands on him. He called him Brother Saul. <laughs> and he said his eyes were open. Well, anyway, when Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Paul, when he started preaching the gospel, where did he go to preach it? He went to the synagogues. 
And what happened to him? Well, he tells us how many times he was stoned, how many times he was beaten. He eventually was turned over to Rome and they beheaded him. So I tell you what you do. This Saturday, you go down to one of the synagogues in Nashville. You go down there and you sit down in one of the pews in a synagogue service and you say, I just want to tell you, brother, that Jesus is Messiah. And I'm here to tell you about that. You know, you know what would happen to you? Well, you'd be run out of town. <laughs> and that's what happened to Paul. So the best thing we can do for the Jewish people is to clearly set forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. That's the best thing we can do. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And none of us like contention. None of us want to be not liked. But if you go down to the synagogue and you start preaching that Jesus is Messiah, you're not going to be liked. And that's what happened to Paul. And that's why he, all of the disciples had terrible problems. Because they were trying to be true to the scripture. And they paid the price for it. May the Lord give us an understanding in these things. Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We know that you've made him Lord in Christ. We know that he is the Messiah. We know he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We know, Father, that he is seated now at thy right hand, the throne of all power, there to wait until all of his enemies are made his footstool. I pray that you'll give us an understanding and give us a love for the Jewish people. Give us a love for lost people people that are lost, that do not know the Lord. Give us a desire and a burden to be a witness by our lives and when you give us opportunity by a verbal witness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.